This is Ron Stockton. Today we're going to talk about some of the background, political background, to liberation theology in Latin America. Let me read to you something that was written by General Smedley D. Butler in his memoir of 1935. General Butler was a, a Marine general who had a special assignment. His job was to clean up Central America. Put it simply, that's what it was. Uh, don't take my word for it. Let me read to you what he said. I helped make Haiti and Cuba a decent place for the National City Bank boys to collect revenues. I helped in the raping of half a dozen Central American republics for the benefit of Wall Street. The record of racketeering is long. I helped purify Nicaragua for the International Banking House of Brown Brothers in 1909-1912. I brought light to the Dominican Republic for the American sugar interests in 1916. I helped make Honduras right for American fruit companies in 1903. Looking back on it, I feel I might have given Al Capone a few hints. The best he could do was to operate his racket in three city districts. We Marines operated on three continents. Well, that's the general who was in charge of these activities. So if you've got that chronology in front of you, which I hope you do, let's just walk through it a little bit and see some of the main events and turning points, and then we're going to talk about some specific cases. Um, 1923, the Monroe Doctrine, the United States proclaimed its influence over the Western Hemisphere. Uh, the Spanish-American Spanish War in 1898, the United States seized territories. In 1898 to 18, until 1902, we occupied Cuba. We were thinking about annexing it, except they fought so furiously that we thought this is not a good idea. And uh, the uh, national hero of Cuba is a man named Marti, M-A-R-T-I, who was uh, <clears throat> the leader of that resistance. I think we killed him. Uh, we annexed Puerto Rico. We still didn't know what to do with those uh, places. Um, an argument against annexing Cuba would be that they spoke Spanish. And if they were annexed, we would have to make Spanish an official language. That's still an issue, isn't it? In 1903, Teddy Roosevelt proclaimed the Roosevelt Corollary, which was that to the Monroe Doctrine, which was that we will use our troops wherever we want to. Well, that's pretty bold, isn't it? In 1903, we uh, separated Panama from Colombia and then annexed it um, and built the, Suez, the Panama Canal. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt reportedly said, uh, it's ours, we stole it fair and square. I don't know if he really said that, but it sounds like something he would say. In 1905, we entered Honduras. Ah, General Smedley, thank you very much. In 1906 to 1909, we occupied Cuba. In 1910, we occupied Honduras once again. Oh, my. 1912, we entered Cuba. 1912, we were back in Cuba. 1912, we entered Panama. 1912, we entered Honduras. 
1912 to 1915, we occupied Honduras, uh, sorry, Nicaragua. <clears throat> uh, in 1914, well, this is unpleasant. We bombed Veracruz. That's a s city, a port city in Mexico. Well, that's not very nice, is it? Um, in 1914 to 1934, whoa, that's a long time. 20 years, we occupied Haiti. 1916, U.S. troops entered northern Mexico hunting for Pancho Villa. La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha, all is fair in love and war. La Cucaracha, La Cucaracha, the pretty women I adore. Ah, you may know that. Anyway, General Pershing led that. And, uh, of course, Pancho Villa was not stupid, <clears throat> and he knew the territory. He knew how to evade uh, Pershing, so they never even had a clash. But Pershing did such a great job of doing nothing that they made him commander of U.S. forces in, uh, in, in the First World War when we finally got involved in that. Then, uh, 1916 to 24, we occupied the Dominican Republic, 1917 to 23, we occupied Cuba again. Cuba's just a headache, isn't it? 1918, we went into Panama. 1919, we went into Honduras. 1926 to 90 to 33, we occupied Nicaragua and set up the Somoza regime. Oh, those guys were so bad. They went through a couple of generations of Somozas, each one worse than the one before it, until they finally got overthrown in 1978. We'll talk about that in a minute. We went into Honduras. As there was a massacre of peasants, we stood by in 1932, U.S. battleships to intervene in case the peasants got the best of the mass murderers. In 1933, then, Franklin Roosevelt came to power, and he developed a new policy called the Good Neighbor Policy, and he said, we will not intervene, we will not send our soldiers into Latin America anymore, we promise. Cross my heart and hope to die, Jesus told me not to lie. Well, I don't think he said that, but he made a sacred promise, which he kept, but uh, uh, his successors weren't necessarily bound by that. Yesterday's a different country. They do things differently there. In 1944, at the end of the war, we set up the international structures to control the world financial system, the World Bank and the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. The United States dominated those. That's the Bretton Woods Conference. And uh, we uh, basically gave us control of, of the whole world economy, pretty much. In 1954, uh, farewell, good nature, good neighbor policy. Uh, we in we orchestrated the overthrow of the Arbenz A R B E N Z government in Guatemala. We'll come back to that. Uh, and this began this began the age of covert operations. So we would say, well, American soldiers weren't there, but we had engaged in uh, in creating proxy forces uh, to do our bidding. Um, in 1959, Castro came to power. He just died, what, two years ago? The longest-serving uh, ruler in the whole world. Uh, we tried to overthrow him in 1961. This was the Bay of Pigs. Oh, what a fiasco that was. We believed our own propaganda. This is the, this is the problem. That 
Castro was a dictator and the Cuban people hated him. And given the first opportunity, they would overthrow him. And all we had to do was land a few uh, Cuban patriots, which were trained in Florida. All we have to do, and Guatemala, we, ha we uh, have to uh, land a few patriots and there'll be a massive uprising. Well, it didn't work that way. We never got off the beaches and we had to pay massive bribes to Castro to let us get those people back. Uh, fortunately, the Catholic Church was able to raise the money for us, so it didn't have to go through Congress. In 1962, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Oh, the Russians were so bad. They tried to create a, uh, a submarine base in Cuba. No way. We would never accept that. They also were introducing nuclear missiles into, uh, into uh, that um, and... Uh, uh, into Cuba, and uh, there's no way any president, left, right, competent, incompetent, was going to tolerate that. No way. So we had a big face-off, and there's a, a wonderful film uh, made about that. Uh, what's it called? 14 Days or something like that. It's a, just a superb film, really good. Um, <clears throat> in 1965, we occupied the Dominican Republic, there was a man there that we didn't like. His name was Juan Bosch, and so Lyndon Johnson got rid of him. Um, the Reagan Doctrine. When Reagan came to power, he developed a new policy that anywhere there is a leftist regime in our hemisphere, we're going to challenge them. Oh, well, that's not very nice. And so we started funding the Contras to overthrow the new government of Nicaragua. And uh, uh, we, we set up these puppet, uh, they were the old regime, that's what they were, people from the old regime, and we trained them and uh, sent them into, uh, we, we, uh, we based them in Honduras, which is on the, right next to Nicaragua, and we uh, sent them into Nicaragua and uh, gave them a pile of money to overthrow the Nicaraguan government. Peter, Paul, and Mary, uh, the, uh, do you remember, do you know Peter, Paul, and Mary? They were folk singers at, uh, uh, during those days, 60s, 70s, and 80s. <clears throat> and they um, had a very nice song, actually, called Salvador. With a half a billion dollars, we can do it right. Bomb all day and strafe all night in Salvador. Oliver Stone made a film called Salvador, which is kind of uh, depressing. Um, in 1983, we, inter in, we uh, occupied Grenada, Grenada, I'm sorry, Grenada, the little island of Grenada. Took us a couple weeks to conquer a golf course in the Caribbean, as they put it. Um, uh, in 1988, we got rid of the Sandinista government by rigging an election. In 1989, we occupied Panama and removed the president, Noriega, and brought him to the U.S. for trial. He had actually been our man. He was our CIA contact within the military. And when the president died, the very popular president died mysteriously. How did that happen? Um, he was in a military helicopter and it crashed. How did that happen? My goodness. Anyway, he died and uh, Noriega came to power. And he was our guy. We were happy with that. But... Uh, then he started uh, using 
not just using drugs, he started running drugs, and we thought, okay. And so we brought him to the United States, gave him a secret trial, nobody knows what happened in that trial, and stuck him in a cell somewhere. I don't know if he's still there or not. In 1994, we occupied Haiti, deposed the government, restored a person that we liked, a priest. Do you see that maybe if you were a Latin American, you might see that there was a problem with the United States and how it's treating people? Uh, do you think you might feel that way? I think I might. I think I might feel that way, and I'm sitting here in Dearborn, Michigan. Maybe I feel that way. So let's tell some stories. I think stories help. Um, Let's start with a man named Ernesto Guevara, who was Che Guevara, he later came to be called. And uh, his, uh, he was a medical student in Argentina, a really privileged guy, and uh, had a beautiful girlfriend and a great future ahead of him. All he had to do was stick it out, and he would be a super rich doctor and uh, have a nice house and a beautiful wife and a beautiful mistress. Sounds like the perfect life to a guy like Che. But one summer, he and his friend, who was a pharmacy student, uh, decided that they would take an old, they had an old beaten up, uh, an old beaten up motorcycle. And they decided to go up the left spine, the left side of the, la- of the South American continent, up to, the, up to the northern part where there was a leper colony, and they were going to volunteer, and they were going to have a great adventure going across, uh, going across the continent. So they set off and uh, riding this motorcycle. And along the way, they began encountering real people. Do you remember I told you about the sin of innocence, that you're privileged and you just don't even know what's going on in the world? You think, you think you're privileged because you work hard? When I was in uh, South Africa, uh, uh, when was that? I don't know, 10, 10 years ago or so, and uh, at a conference in, in Johannesburg. And, uh, and uh, we went with, uh, I was staying with a, a very nice family, and uh, one of my colleagues, it was an academic conference, one of my colleagues, a professor at another university, uh, was staying with another family, and that other family had a young son who was, uh, I don't know, he was like uh, 18 or so. And uh, we made a trip into Soweto, which we've talked about already. It's that black township. And this is after majority rule. Nelson Mandela was the president of South Africa. The young man went to uh, a private secondary school. He had black uh, classmates. They all got along well together. He thought, you know, this is the new South Africa. We solved the problem of racism. But he had never been to Soweto. And he went to Soweto and he saw people living under wretched circumstances. He had never seen this. He came back at the end of the day. His hands were shaking. He didn't realize he had never seen the real South Africa. He had never, he thought that the world that he lived in was the true world, and he realized there was another world out there. That sort of happened to Che Guevara. On that trip, he encountered peasants who had been driven from their home, 
He encountered people wretchedly poor. By the end of that trip, he was a changed man. His friend went back and finished pharmacy school and became a pharmacist, but Che never did his last year of medical school. He decided to go to Guatemala, where there was a reform president. A general had taken power there. He had been elected, actually. His name was Arbenz, A-R-B-E-N-Z. And uh, he was a reforming general. And the fruit companies owned much of the property, and the peasants were kept in a wretched condition. Thank you, General Smedley Butler. And he was doing land reform. He was doing public education, all sorts of things. And Che, a bright young guy, he wasn't called Che yet. Che, uh, Ernesto, a bright young guy, very passionate, very humanitarian, very committed to social justice, decided to go work in this democratic reform movement. Here was a country where the democratic forces had produced of a reforming leader who was changing the country. But in 1954, that government was overthrown by an American-backed uprising. An invading force came in. It was portrayed as a popular uprising. It was not a popular uprising. He was overthrown. And Che fled the country and went to Mexico where he met another young revolutionary who had been driven out of his country, and that other revolutionary was Fidel Castro. This was the time when Che got, Ernesto got the nickname Che because uh, the Argentinians, I've never been to Argentina, but I understand they, they have a, like a, a term they use that means like guy, like hey guy, they'll say hey Che. You know, or that sort of thing. Or they'll just call you Che. It's just a nickname sort of thing that you can use. And he called people Che all the time, so they started calling him Che Guevara. So he came to be called Che Guevara. Uh, anyway, um, now he went and stayed with Fidel Castro. He no longer was a Democrat. He decided that the democratic uh, process uh, of reforming Latin America was never going to be allowed to work. The Americans would not tolerate democratic reform. I got to tell you, I'm kind of depressed at the thought that we were really the problem, but we were. So, of course, we know the story. Fidel Castro came to power in 1959. Um, I was a high school, I was a high school uh, a senior, and. Um, and I, uh, I really thought, wow, this is cool. You know, the gangsters ran, uh, gangsters ran Cuba. If you see Godfather Two, Cuba plays a key role in that. The, uh, the American mafia had owned casinos and 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 whorehouses and uh, drugs and whatever you wanted. Sex uh, shows, all the things are shown in Godfather Two. It's a great film. Um, and uh, and uh, so when Castro came in, the first thing he did was close down the whorehouses. You say, whoa, this guy's a prude, right? No, he wasn't a prude. They were run by the mafia. 
and he closed down the casinos and he began rounding up people. And therefore, we ended up with many thousands of Cuban refugees in Miami, which is where they now are the dominant population group. So, uh, so uh, that was the story of, uh, of, of, of Ernesto Guevara, a, a democratic reformer who got turned to radicalism and became the revolutionary Che. Now, in, uh, in Chile, we had another uh, incident that happened. Uh, there again was a, a free election, and a man named Salvador Allende was elected president. His niece is a, uh, is, is a famous novelist. Uh, you've maybe seen some of, her, uh, some of her novels. I've never read one of her novels, but they are said to be really good. Um, anyway, uh, Salvador Allende was a reformer. And there, the copper uh, mines run by Americans, Anaconda, uh, the Anaconda mines, uh, were, the, were the dominant economic force. And there was, um, there, there was uh, telecommunications run by Americans. The Americans basically controlled the economy. And Salvador Allende began nationalizing those taking those over and running them as state, uh, state uh, parastatals, they're called, state uh, corporations. And uh, so there was a strike. I was amazed that I watched that from the distance. And, you know, my family are union people. And so the unions went on strike, and they closed that thing down. They closed that country down for a year or something like that. And I thought, whoa, they must have a heck of a strike fund. Uh, usually when there's a strike, the union has got some reserves, you know, and they can pay the workers a little bit of money to keep them afloat until the strike is over. And so uh, I thought, this is a heck of a strike. These people are really stretching it out, and this is uh, kind of impressive. Well, as it turned out, the United States was providing the strike fund. We were behind the strike. And in the end, the military stepped in, and the Chilean military was so right-wing. They were pretty awful. And the Chilean military stepped in and, uh, and put the presidential uh, mansion under, uh, under siege. And they sent a message to Allende and said, uh, uh, if you will agree to leave, we'll put you on a helicopter and get you out of the country. And uh, you can take your family with you and you can steal some money if you want. And, uh, and uh, that will be the end of that. We just want to get rid of you. And he made a broadcast, uh, a legendary broadcast, his last broadcast. He said, uh, um, to the people of Chile, I tell you this. I will not abdicate. Um, I, will, I will die as the president of Chile. I will not abandon you. I will not abdicate. I've forgotten the exact words. It was a very stirring speech. And uh, uh, so the uh, military broke in and he was shot to death. Um, and a really awful, awful, awful regime came to power. Pinochet is the man's name. P-I-N-O-C-H-E-T, Pinochet. The man was a, a mass murderer. He began rounding up people. You know what they would do? They would put these people, they did this in Argentina also. They would, they would put these uh, people in, uh, in uh, planes and fly them out over the ocean and push them out and they would drown. 
and the bodies would never be found. They also began to steal children when they would lock up, uh, lock up uh, a husband and wife who were seen as radicals. They would take their children and adopt them out to, uh, to uh, families. Um, in in uh, Argentina, there was a group called the Grandmothers of the Plaza. There was a big... Uh, there was a big I can tell you, you can cross moms, and moms will get really mad at you. But I tell you, you don't ever want to cross a grandmother. Uh, you mess with someone's grandkid, and you're going to be sorry. And uh, these women would just go down. They just defied this regime. They had another brutal dictatorship in Argentina. And uh, um, they would go down and just stand in this square. It's a square where all the cars uh, would go around this square. It's like the center of the transportation system, and they would stand there with pictures of their children and their grand, uh, their children. They probably didn't have pictures of their grandchildren. So we were behind that, I'm very sorry to say. Uh, there's a movie, by the way, about, uh, about what happened in Chile. It's, I think it's called Missing. It's uh, uh, Jack, uh, Jack Lemmon, I think, is, is a father going down there to try to find his, uh, to find his uh, missing son. And he's convinced that the American embassy there will be very helpful. And in time, he comes to realize they were, provide, they were the ones providing lists. The CIA had lists of people they had compiled, and they turned the lists over to the government, which then rounded them up. The Somoza regime in Nicaragua were put in power by the Americans, there's a story about uh, Franklin Roosevelt. Uh, the the Somozas, they were always having uprisings against them. They were so brutal. And uh, at one point, there was an uprising, and, uh, and uh, Franklin Roosevelt was thinking about helping them. And one of his advisors said, Mr. President, you've got to be careful about this policy, uh, though that those uh, Somozas, they're sons of bitches. And... Uh, Roosevelt said, yeah, I know they are, but they're our sons of bitches, so we need to help them. So he helped them, and uh, they hung on until 1978 when they were overthrown by the uh, Sandinistas, named after uh, a man named Sandino who had led an earlier uprising, and, and so the Sandinistas came to power. And they were overthrown then by the Contras, 